I'm Sarah Lippman. Welcome to Torati Mecha Nach Yomi with the OU Women's Initiative. Today, we will be learning Divri Hayamim, Chronicles, Volume 1, Chapter 17. In Chapter 17, we read that once David's kingdom seemed to be fully established, he sought to build the Beis Hamikdash, the Holy Temple. Verses 1, 2, and 3. And it was, when David was settled in his home, that he said to the prophet Nasan, Behold, I am living in a house of cedarwood, and the ark of God's covenant is under curtains. And Nasan said to David, Kol asher bilvavcha aseh, ki ha'elokim imach. Do all that is in your heart, for Hashem is with you. What is David's motivation to build the Beis HaMikdash? Why now? In Devarim chapter 12, the Torah tells us that we are obligated to build a Beis HaMikdash, a holy temple, when you are settled in the land which Hashem your God will grant to you, and when God shall have given you rest from all your enemies around you, and you dwell in security. The mitzvah, the duty to build the holy temple, begins when there is peace in Israel. The Gemara in Sanhedrin 20b says, Yisrael are commanded to do three things when they enter the land, to crown a king, to wipe out Amalek, and to build the holy temple, in that order. And so, when chapter 17 opens with David realizing that he was Yoshav Beveso, settled in his home in Jerusalem, this seemed to fit the instruction in the Torah that Vishavtem Ba'aretz, when you are settled in the land. And his victories over his enemies seemed to match Devarim's Vishavtem Betach, when you are settled securely, without fear of enemies around you. And so David thought that the time had come. Verse 4, And it was that very night that the word of God came to Nasan to say, Go and tell David Avdi, David my servant, so says Hashem, It is not you who will build for me the house for my presence to be settled in. Verse 5, For my presence has not been settled in any building or home from the day that I brought Israel up until this very day. My presence has moved from tent to tent and from Mishkan tabernacle. Verse 6, Bechol asher hisholachti, in all the time that my presence has rested upon the Aaron, says Hashem, accompanying all of Israel, did I ever speak to one of Israel's shoftim, judges, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built for me a house of cedar wood? Hashem says, did I ever ask anyone to do this? Now, there's a very glaring omission in verse 5. The verse demands another word. It's almost obvious that the verse was about to say, Me'ohel el-ohel, from tent to tent, umi mishkan el-mishkan, and from mishkan to mishkan, tabernacle to tabernacle. But there is no last word. We're left hanging. Me'ohel el-ohel, umi mishkan, and the sentence doesn't end. Our sages in the Mishnah's Rabbi Eliezer use this verse 5 as an example to prove that the Torah, which never includes even an extra letter, may abbreviate its words if they can be obviously understood or inferred. Rav Moshe Eisman, in his commentary in the Art Scroll Divri Hayamim, says, The text says worlds by omitting the implied lemishkan to tabernacle. The where is totally insignificant. It is his presence among his children that matters. One might say, from the Mishkan to you fill in the blank. In other words, wherever my Shrina will be, it will be wherever you are. 
The Shrina, the visible indication of God's presence, is called settled when it is present upon the Aron, the Ark. And we saw reference to that earlier in Devarim chapter 13. In the wilderness, where the Ark moved, that's where the nation moved. The Ark itself is the origin point coordinate from which we calculate our location. Even now, says the Gemara and Brachos, whenever we're praying, we're directing our hearts and minds toward the position of the Holy Ark in Jerusalem. So we may read verse 5 as continuing into verse 6. Umi mishkan I went from the Mishkan to wherever I was going with the Jewish people. Anywhere that the Jewish people are, I will walk with them. I will be settled. But if David wanted to build the temple so desperately, why couldn't he? Verses 9 and 10. I will set a place for my people, Yisrael, and they shall be well planted and disturbed no more, nor shall evil people wear away at him as before, and I will subdue all your enemies. In other words, David, it's not time yet. Your fight is not yet over. You will recall that back at the end of chapter 1, Divri Hayamim contrasted Esav and his descendants in Edom with his brother Yaakov and his children, the twelve tribes. When Esav was born, the Torah describes him as Admoni, from the root word Adom, red. Rashbam translates that as ruddy or reddish, so he was a red person, Rashi defines the term admoni as meaning a red personality, with the tendency to spill blood. Malbim says, like Rashi, that admoni is a cluster of characteristics. Someone who anchors easily, sees red, feels jealous, other traits that stem from the violent part of a personality, hot-headed. When Hashem sent the prophet Shmuel to anoint David as king, Shmuel was taken aback when he met him. Vayavyehu, they brought David in, and he was Admoni, with lovely eyes and a good appearance. And God said, Go and anoint him, Kizehu, for this is he. The Midrash and Precious Rabbah says, When Shmuel saw that David was an Admoni, by whatever definition, he felt frightened. He thought, David is a killer, like Asaph. But Hashem said to him, David has beautiful eyes. Asaph killed to satisfy his own desires, but David will kill only on the instruction of the Sanhedrin, who are the eyes of the community. The Gemara in Shabbos 156a says that of course people are born with inherent personalities. However, a person born under the influence of Ma'adim, the red planet, Mars, will be liable to shed blood. But as we've learned before, there's what comes to you in life and what comes from you. So the Gemara goes on to say that the person born in the strength of Madim of Mars can become a killer, or he can become a shochet, a slaughterer, or a butcher, or a moil, a surgeon. No trait is inherently bad. It's all about what you do with it. It may be that David could not build a base menucha, a place for the Aaron to rest permanently, because he himself was not at rest. He was always spiritually battling. Chomas Anachir quotes the Gemara and Brachos that David never allowed himself to sleep for a full 60 breaths. In a play on words, he says, Lo ta'am ta'am mita, he never tasted the taste of death because lo ta'am ta'am mita, because he never allowed himself to taste a bed. 
David didn't have time to sleep. There was so much he still needed to do. Could this be the secret of how David grew into a David instead of into an Asav, even born with the same personality? Asav opted out of the Jewish family, as described in Parsha's Toltos. Vayavo Asav min hasadeh vehu ayef. Asav came in from the field and he was tired. He was exhausted. The Medrash there says he was exhausted because he had been busy committing cardinal sins, avodazara, idol worship, kilu arayos, immorality, shvichostamim, murder. And he said to his brother Yaakov, Halitenina min ha'adom ha'adom hazeh, ki ayefanochi. Serve me, please, from this red, red stuff, for I am so tired. And it was that statement which caused Yaakov to suddenly say, Sell me now your role as the eldest son. And Esav said, I'm going to die anyway, so why would I benefit from having the birthright? Yaakov asks for the Bechora, the role of the firstborn son, when he hears Esav say that he is ayef, tired, that's what strikes him a blow to the gut. Esav thinks his strength is his own. His strength is purely sourced in the physical. He's finite. He runs out of energy. But to someone like Yaakov, who is 100% in tune with the fact that all his energy comes from Hanosin Le'ya'ev Koach, God who gives strength to the weary, Yaakov realized with horror that Esav had decided to live only for the physical. It was only that mindset that could explain the ayef, I'm so tired, which in fact Esav confirmed when he said, I'm going to die. So what benefit is there for me of the bechora, the status of being firstborn? As we learned in chapter 5, the role of the oldest son is to care for the spiritual and physical well-being of the family. Any extra material inheritance is meant to support that added responsibility. Esav had zero interest in doing anything for anyone else. Thus, he was leaving everything up to Yaakov. Esav walked away from his role in the Jewish family altogether. David, in some way, was born with the same personality as Esav, and all the greatness and all the potential that Esav sold for a mess of lentils was fulfilled in David. But it didn't come easily. It was a constant personal battle. On the national level, as king, he was just about perfect. He never sought the malchus, he never sought the kingship, but he never shirked the duty given to him either. David achieved everything he achieved, by never allowing himself to be ayif, tired out. Instead, he would maintain constant awareness of God in every single event and every single moment, which meant that rather than the existential exhaustion of an Esav, David constantly turned to Hashem and asked for more strength to fulfill his mission. The Midrash Shochar Tov says, David prayed, Sa'adini fi'ivoshea, support me, And I will have the strength. I will have the strength to endure the afflictions that you bring upon me. He may have felt exhausted, but rather than doing less or turning to food or drink or taiva for energy or refreshment, he turned to God. He turned to God in prayer, begging for strength and saying, I need support. He turned to God. He sought God's guidance through the words of the Torah, the judgments of the Sanhedrin, and the words of the prophets.
David had beautiful eyes. He became a beautiful man. Rav Moshe Eisman quotes Rav Kohen, The wars which constantly beset David's reign were no more than the external manifestation of the turbulence within David's heart. It was a heart described by the Rambam as the heart of all the community of Israel. The peace in Israel during Shlomo's reign later reflected the perfect tranquility in Shlomo's heart, hence his name Shlomo, meaning shalom, peace. But David wasn't Shlomo. David was a warrior, a fighter through and through. Greater than the efforts he expended on the field of battle were the efforts he spent conquering his own inner conflicts. And as his enemies never quite succeeded in conquering him, neither did David's baser drives ever succeed in overpowering him. As night leads to day, and as labor leads to harvest, and effort leads to success, David led to Shlomo. Shlomo's success was David's success. Verse 7. So shall you say to my loyal servant David, so says God, I took you from the shepherd's hut from behind the sheep to be a prince for my people Yisrael. In verses 7 through 15, God continues to convey to the prophet Nasan his promise to David that although he will not be allowed to build the base of Mikdash, he will have a son, quote, who shall build a house for me, and I will maintain his throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. In honor of this prophecy and this promise, David minted coins. Says the Medrash Embracious Rabbah, David's coins were minted with the image of a staff and a knapsack, makel v'tarmiel, on one side, and a migdal, a tower, on the other side. The staff and knapsack represented his early years as a shepherd, and the tower, his years as a ruler. David celebrated them both, the night which leads to the day, the labor which leads to the harvest, the effort which leads to success, the life he lived which led to the life of Shlomo, the staff and the knapsack leading to the tower. So what reaction did David have to the message that he could not fulfill his life's greatest dream? that he could not build the base of Mikdash. He could have felt rejected. After all he'd been through, the wars, the battles, the struggles, the fleeing, he wants to do something for God. And not only is he told that he may not, he's told that he has more fighting, more suffering yet to come. Verses 16 through 27, And David came, and he sat before Hashem, and he said, Who am I to deserve such favor? You speak not only of doing good to me, but also to my household after me. You have said that you see me as a man of noble nature. What more could I ask? If David had one dream even greater than the dream of building the Beis HaMikdash, it was to be good enough in God's eyes. And God says, you are good. And David praises God's greatness. He praises Hashem's care for the Jewish nation. He prays that he and his family will continue to be a credit to God's holy name. You have blessed my home, and it is blessed forever. Thank you for learning together with me, Le'ilui Nishmas, Rose Foreman, Rezel Rachel Bas Arieleib, and Rachel Zeitlin.